leadership and advocacy. with another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb. And I'm Maria. And here's our podcast. For the Realistic SLP. Welcome. Here we are. So we are back and we are so excited because we have a very lovely wine and cheese. So this is a Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, I'm going to pretend like I am. So a Cabernet Sauvignon. And it's very different, and I like this taste. It's by Naked Winery, and it's called Penetration. That's like the side name for it. Mm -hmm. Interesting choice, Maria. Yes, I know. Well, (laughs) they are a great company because not only is their wine delicious, I'm going to talk about their wine first. But it's also a dysphagia vocab word. Exactly, yes. But, you know, if you do have penetration you don't want to be drinking thin liquids. So, you know, watch out there. That's right. all I got to say. Right. So, but however, we do not have dysphagia. I say it the Greek way. The Greek oh. way. Yes. And <laughs> it has um, black cherries that taste. And it definitely has that smoky and barrel toasty finish, which I got to be honest, I've never had a wine with that smoky barrel taste. Mm-hmm. And I tasted it instantly without reading the description because I like to taste it first and then go back. Right. You don't want to be um, influenced. I don't want to be influenced mm-hmm. <laughs> in more ways than one. Right. So I definitely liked it, but it did take me a couple of sips to get used to the different taste. Uh, so, yeah, Cabernet Sauvignon, I would vote drink it. Definitely drink it. What do you vote? I vote drink it. I really like it. Yes. Yeah, well, it's very uh, yeah. different. It's an interesting wine. Great. Yeah, you, you drink that while I talk mm-hmm. about this company. So Naked Winery, they are proud to offer our listeners um, a discount with the promo code wine, not two separate words, and they're going to offer 15% off three bottles Plus uh, $10 flat rate shipping. So oh. they're offering this only until May 31st. So in the day of our show. Yes. Yay. Yes. That's the day of our show, which, I mean, we might as well talk about it since we're on topic. Okay. So it's at the Creek and the Cave in Long Island City. Doors open at 730 there's going to be a link and all that fun stuff. There already is. There already is. Yeah, there's a link in our Instagram bio, um, and there's a link on my Instagram bio. Okay, and I um, will put a link in my Instagram bio. Wonderful. So general admission tickets are $10, um, and then we're offering $5 tickets to students. So just have your student ID at will call. Yeah, great means like bring it with you yeah just have it with you so that when they're like oh you have a student ticket like can i see your student id um so the doorman has that and then we're gonna have music and four comedians in a comedy show hosted by myself and maria okay yes so this is my first time hosting a live comedy show and i'm very Mm -hmm. excited not nervous not one bit good one bit don't be and are you uh, going to write yeah. any jokes? Um, I could. I don't know if they'll be funny. Oh, well, right. that's the point of a joke. So it's terrible. So people can laugh at me so I can cry in the bath. No, you're supposed oh. to make it funny. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will work on that. Yeah, we'll figure out. We'll, yeah. we'll get our act 
together. Yes, we will. Pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. Yes, that's a pun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Got it. <laughs> okay. Got it. You're penetrating. Yes. In my brain. Good. Thank you. Hopefully just your brain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and no, exactly. <laughs> not in the pure form. Your throat. Yeah. <laughs> in my larynx. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. My oral pharynx, if you will. Yes. I feel like you're welcome for yes. me not doing that <laughs> right. to you. Yeah. So you voted drink it and um, not sink it, despite the different taste. Right. But I like it. Speaking of being different, so this time, this episode, we're gonna have a bit of a change from our uh, typical layouts, where we're gonna have an interview towards the end of the show with Craig Coleman. And uh, you'll get to hear more from him in yeah. our interview. He's running for vice president of planning for ASHA. So we sat down and chatted with him for a bit. So um, that'll be our last segment in this episode. So stay tuned to hear some info from Craig. Yes. And so ASHA has a statement that SLPs, on top of all of our roles and responsibilities, should also be advocates. And it may sound like, oh, my God, so much work. But I feel like we all do it. Like, without even thinking about it and right. stuff. And uh, I know I do. And when I sat and thought about it, I'm like, yeah, I definitely feel like I am an advocate for the individuals I work with. But Asha does have a statement that Deb would love to read. Oh, uh, well, this is just a bunch of notes that are all, all over the place. So this is not Asha's statement. Oh, But okay. this is, like, information I took from Asha's website. Okay. Um, but basically, so... Currently, in our climate, and then also with the with in the school settings having Common Core standards, we need to make sure we're advocating for the services that speech pathologists provide, um, so that our services are not uh, used or provided by somebody else. Basically, so it's important this time of month, well, year, but in general, always to advocate for the services that you provide and um, the clients who could require your assistance in the school setting. So whether that means like becoming involved with response to intervention within school or making sure that everyone gets the mandates that they would benefit from on your caseload, uh, that's something that we want to focus on in order to provide the best type an amount of services. Yeah. And even like if you think a kid would benefit from a group um, mandate and then, you know, approaching the parents and the teacher about it and just, right. you know, maybe differentiating the different types of therapy sessions, like an individual versus a group, a pullout session. Versus right. All the different in. service delivery yeah, models. Service delivery models. So I it's not just pull out and push in. It could be co-teaching. It could be speech club. It could be speech club. Speech club is, is that like a, a club for speechers. Well, is that it's what was happening speechers? on May thirty first? No, I just it made could up be that speech club. Like you don't talk about it though. Um, oh no, like Fight Club. I've um, never seen that movie. Shocking. Oh my goodness, I Maria! Know. I know. Okay, so anyway, speech Sorry. club is when you um, are on the verge of discharging somebody from services, and then you like observe them uh, in their spontaneous speech during like any activities and to see if they're carrying over and generalizing their skills oh yeah did you 
coined this term? I or? didn't. It's a service oh, okay. delivery model that's in the textbook that I've been teaching out of for my speech and educational setting class. So yeah. it's a real thing. You kind of didn't make it up there. <laughs> nope. Didn't make you it you up. Didn't make it up. It's real. It's real. Um, okay. But yeah, it's just like making sure that they're generalizing those skills to their spontaneous speech. And that's called speech club? Yeah, so it's a service delivery model where at that point, like, it depends what state you live in if you're, like, able to do this. But um, you can keep somebody on your caseload, but you stop seeing them for therapy and you just check in with them in their natural environment to see if they're generalizing their skills and, like, promoting carryover. Wow. Okay. I mean, I could look up the actual definition if you would like me to. No. Okay. Good there. Um, Thank you. But yeah, so what also is important is that we want to raise awareness and education about what speech pathologists do. Yeah, because right. I feel like no one really knows. No, um, they don't. So that's what I've been putting effort towards on my Instagram. You just have definitely been doing that, and yeah. you are really good at it. Thanks. And I just kind of want to like copy and paste what you write and oh. make it for my own, but I won't. Sure, do it. I don't care. <laughs> I just want to like repost what you write. I'm like, this is good. Good, she then do it. I mean, for all of us I here. take it from Asha though. Um, okay. I'm like, should I put citations in my? Maybe. I'm not doing that. Okay. It's all from Asha. If anyone has a question, I took it from Asha. I probably copied and pasted it from Asha. Maybe you should write that at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I always think about it, but then I'm like, what if Asha doesn't want to be associated with me? They might not. So that's why <laughs> I just, just don't. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to draw Asha attention to me. Um, I don't know. I okay. never know exactly like how right or how wrong I'm. I am. No, I think they would be very proud to. I don't know if they would. What if know? they're like, why is this girl sitting on the floor and speaking for all speech pathologists? And I'd be like, I don't even know her. I don't I don't know who that is. Right. And I, then I'll yeah. dye my hair again. Right. I'll be a different person. Pink. I yeah. vote pink. Um, but then we also want to advocate for eligibility and during the IEP process. And then also, finally, we need to make sure that we are informed and staying informed and what's happening on in the government. I'm All of my sentences are messed up. But no, we need to know what's sense. happening at a government level right. so that we have to make sure that the rights of the people we treat are not being violated and then our services are not being advocated for. So we have to make sure that we stay informed and make sure we elect people who represents us in a way that protects our jobs and our clients' therapy services that we provide. Right. Yeah. And I know a lot of times, like, Asha uh, Leader will have different articles about, like, legislation. And I don't even know if that's the right word to use. Legislation? I wanted to say that, but legislation? No. Is that not it? That's, like, registration and <laughs> Maybe they're registering at the as they're legislating. I don't know <laughs> okay. what they're doing. I'm right. not there. Right. Well, but the ASHA people are. The yeah. ASHA do have their uh, advocates, and they're advocating for like um, stricter, not stricter, but like um, more coverage for let's say children who get a cochlear implant or hearing aids. I feel like I'm always hearing about that, and that mm -hmm. they still need speech therapy just because they got implanted. Let's say. Right. So that's just an example that comes to mind. So yeah, things like that mm -hmm. is what I was thinking of. But how do you consider yourself an advocate? Well, I feel like I've built myself a bit of a platform. So my voice carries a little bit further in the field than other people might not have that privilege. So I definitely want to utilize my voice appropriately and be an advocate. Mm -hmm. So um, I would like to spread 
public awareness. Cheer. No, okay. What? I was going to say cheer. cheer. <laughs> Holiday cheer. Yeah, for all to hear. For all to hear. Um, no, I would like to spread awareness so that the public is aware of what we do. And I feel like Ashes should put out more statements like when things happen in the news in terms of like anything with disabilities or children or anything in healthcare. TBI. I feel like that's yeah, anything. Kind of I just want to hear anything. Asha on the news. Asha just be like, this the is news. the position from the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association on um, recent um, automobile accidents right. in the relation to TBI. Something. Like, I just want right. to hear about speech on the news so that, I mean, we hear from, like, psychologists and yeah. teachers and stuff, so I just want to hear. I also want to... Um, Spread not only spread awareness to the public, but then also um, create a, an educational platform on my Instagram where I'm like informing. So maybe people can go there for ideas, for inspiration, but then also like go back to the fundamentals of what speech pathology is and maybe study or learn something. I don't know. Who knows? I think that's definitely plausible. I think you have a lot of useful information on there. Okay, so, good. Yeah. I don't always watch your videos. I'm sorry, confession time, because I just don't. Because I'm just like, I know she's good at what she's doing. Um, I'm sure this. Well, today great. kids were asking me about where how mommies get babies in their belly. Oh, okay, that's so a good question. It was a good video. What you did you ask? Okay. Well, you'll have, have to watch it. I'm gonna have to watch that yeah. one. That one. I if, will if watch. you're if this uh, episode, if you're listening to this after May 2019, I'm wearing a floral dress in that episode. Yes, so and she's that, still wearing it, so it's a video. real video. Yeah. Um, so you, that's a great way. So you feel like your Instagram page has allowed you to do that, which I'm is trying. good. Yeah. And then I also like to do presentations at my school to, um, tell, like inform the teachers as to what a speech pathologist does and how we can help. And my CF is actually doing one tomorrow at her school. So I'm going to go see her. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Cool. All right. How do you feel like you're an advocate? Okay. Good question. Thank you. Well, I thought of it all on my own. Did you? Yeah. Great. Um, well, I have gotten a lot of my students' uh, di devices. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that was definitely a process. Um, but also, it's um, like sometimes you have to change a device. Even today, there's been like a device that broke and I had to like drop it off. So like there is a lot of like behind the scenes work of a device. So I, like that's totally my responsibility. But also, of course, like everybody on the team, too. So it's you're like kind of the point person when a kid gets a device. So um, you're also the person who like starts the process of getting the device and you're like the ongoing point person as the kid has the device. So uh -huh. like teachers will come to me and which I love that, you know, they'll be like, oh, how do I do this? Or if they're in a teaching a lesson and I'm there with the kid, I'll show them or I'll just use the device th with the lesson, obviously. So I'm just like constantly that device person. <laughs> like, That's good. So <laughs> good. but also like for the parents, too. So I've had parent trainings with the device. Um and like keeping consistent contact with the parents like oh how's it going with the device at home and uh, i recommended like one parent because she was like oh he has so many like after school activities it's like kind of hard to set like time to do stuff with the device and i was thinking i'm like oh what about the car ride like in the car you could play like i spy like what do you see as you're driving or just different like songs because the 
the student loves songs so you could like have them request different radio stations or different artists with the device right that's a great idea isn't it thank you yeah thank you um yeah so i thought of that so the device is just like i feel like that's just like one word that comes with so many advocacy right you have to do a lot of advocating when it comes to devices right so but also i think being a team player which i love collaborating with everyone who's on the team really so i just feel like you get great ideas from them and then like you see something in your you know your with your speech glasses (laughs) with your speech what is that called that you call it like your speech like i think you brought it up too like everyone's gonna look at something oh like the speech lens yeah the speech lens and then like a neurologist thinks everything's wrong with the brain and a cardiologist is like it's the heart yes exactly yeah right Mm-hmm. So I like that because I like to hear what they have to say, too, and then just kind of like right. find similarities into like what I'm saying. So I like right. that as well. Bridge that gap. Bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. You make it sound so much fancier. Well, but thank you, though. Thank you. It's a compliment. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's what they have me here for. Yeah. Just to add a little fancy. bit of fans. A little fans. Yeah. Is that a word? No. No. Just shortened one. Okay. I got fancy with fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And then also empowering the parents. So a lot of times they like come to you and like, what can I do? What can I do? And then I'm just like always giving them ideas. And my favorite thing and place is the library. So there's so many free things at the library. And I mean, if it's free, like there's right. right. So I have they have like summer reading programs and like crochet club and like all this fun stuff. At the library. At the library. Isn't it so exciting? If anything, Maria has used the podcast to advocate for the library. And on that note, we're going to pause for a commercial break. Stay tuned because after this break, we're going to talk more advocacy. And then later on, we'll hear from Craig. This episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese is brought to you by Throat Scope. Throat Scope is an illuminated tongue depressor and a retraction tool. Throat Scope includes reusable light handles that slide into a single-use tongue depressor. Throat Scope features a natural light output for tissue examination and diagnosis. It has 20 hours of constant illumination and it's designed to decrease the risk of cross-contamination and it's also environmentally friendly. ThroatScope includes a one-year product warranty on their reusable light handles. Yes. Maria, do you have a ThroatScope? Of course I do. They have a wonderful product that I use all the time, especially during my assessments. And you could find out more and purchase their items at throatscope.com. We're back, everyone. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Patreon. You can purchase tickets to our live show May 31st. That's coming up really soon. And now we're going to have an interview with Craig Coleman, who's running for vice president of planning for ASHA. Hey everyone, I'm Maria from SLP's Wine and Cheese, and here we have a lovely guest, Craig Coleman, joining us from West Virginia. Hey everybody, my name is Craig Coleman. Um, I specialize in stuttering, and I'm uh, running for ASHA Vice President of Planning. Great, 
welcome. We also have Deborah with us, of course. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So, Craig, that's super interesting. Um, and you're from West Virginia, and you teach at Marshall, Marshall University, correct? Correct, yep. How did you decide you wanted to run for vice president of planning? Um, good question. Um, so I've, I've done a lot with um, state associations. I came to Marshall University about seven years ago, and prior to that, um, I ran our stuttering center at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. And during that time, I served as president of the um, Pennsylvania Speech-Language Hearing Association twice. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been involved in a number of different ASHA committees and, and boards. I got to serve as the uh, coordinator for ASHA SIG-4, which is the SIG on fluency and fluency disorders. Um, I was on the, the um, committee to revise the scope of practice in 2016. And um, I've been, uh, I was on the Legislative Council with ASHA for a while many years ago, so I, I, I like to get into legislative issues a lot. I like to, um, you know, be involved in strategic planning. I like to, um, you know, kind of help set the agenda for uh, important issues. And, and most of all, I like to help people come up with solutions for, for important issues. That's great. That's fantastic. It's important to be a problem solver, I think. <laughs> Right. I mean, I feel like so often, especially in like the age of the internet, that the majority of the forums online, you just kind of see uh, complaining rather than a problem solving oriented point of view. So I do appreciate when someone's like, well, let's do something about it. Right. Um, yeah. So before I got into the things that I would like to talk about and um, some things I pulled our listeners for, I was wondering um, if you could sum up a little bit of your platform and the things that you are interested in targeting. Sure. So there's there's several different areas that I kind of have identified by talking to people during this campaign that I feel like are really important. Um, one is related to school-based SLPs and uh, caseload and workload issues because I've heard you know that issue has come up over and over again that it's really a barrier to people being able to do their jobs effectively and you know to me that's sort of the the standard that we have to have is do people have the circumstances and, and the work environments to be able to serve the clients the best way and caseload and workload are, are part of that um, another issue that I, I really have come across again and again is um, encroachment. Um, I think there's a lot of things going on, especially with ABA therapists that, um, you know, kind of going into the scope of practice of a speech language pathologist, that that's become a, been an issue that I've heard from many people. And I think we need to do a better job of, of not saying we're not going to collaborate with people because, of course, we want to do that, but of, of really strengthening the legislation in different states and working with state associations so that we can nail down in licensure laws what a SLP does and what they can do versus what other people can do. And that, that comes down to the scope of practice in the state, you know, at the license level. Right, yeah. So that there would be more strict guidelines. Well, most people don't even know that speech pathologists work with swallowing. That's always everyone's surprise whenever I talk about it. Um, so that would be a nice thing to target. And I think that, you know, going along with that, I think one of the other major things I hope to accomplish is to just be able to increase public awareness of what we do. Um, I think, you know, as, as you pointed out, a lot of people still don't understand the full scope of what a speech language pathologist does. And I think that leads to a lot of other issues with reimbursement 
it leads to a lot of other issues with legislation negatively affecting us a lot because people just don't understand our scope of practice and the amount of things that we do well. And, um, you know, I think that, that another big thing for me in, in looking at what positive changes we can make is I think we need to really look at how we're training people. And I think, um, you know, historically, our model has, has worked pretty well, but with the scope of practice expanding as much as it has, I think it's probably time to examine whether our, our model of training students works as well um, and what we can do to, to maybe make it a little bit better and more efficient for people so that they're getting a lot of um, training opportunities. Like, you know, for example, I've heard from a lot of medical SLPs that feel like people are not being trained to do instrumentation and, you know, uh, being able to do those things. So I, I think those are priorities we can, we can work on. And certainly there are, are the standing priorities too of reimbursement issues that, you know, we, we, I kind of always have said that we, we kind of keep saying that, you know, we push this evidence-based practice concept, which is really important. But on the other side of that, we're told that if we just collect the evidence, then, you know, we'll get reimbursement, we'll get legislation. And that doesn't seem to be happening. What, what seems to be happening is we keep collecting evidence and not getting anything in return. And so we really have to work hard, I think, to advocate for being able to collect the evidence, but then getting the reimbursement, getting the, the improvements in client service because of it. And I also, so I wrote down things that um, matter to me and awareness was my number two. Um, I feel like there's so many things that come out in the news where I would love to hear like what the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association's comments are this, on this situation. Yet it's not really something that I see in the media and I would like to see some change in that area. Yeah. I, have, I have a speech therapy Instagram where I like to take videos of myself like doing speech therapy activities to provide a model for how that activity should get done. Because I feel like this field is so isolating. So it's like after you do your observations, primarily you're gonna be out in a school, most only need one SLP, so it's not like you have someone to give you feedback or, or to see a model on a daily basis. So it just seems like if there was like a TV show that featured an individual demonstrating progress through speech therapy or even a documentary or something or, or something on the news or a comment on a, on a current event, then that would make me feel like, oh, there's a little bit more legitimacy here to our profession. You know, one of the things that I've talked about in, the, in my campaign so far is that, you know, ASHA tends to do a really good job telling the stories of famous people with communication disorders. <laughs> but the, the issue is, Maria, what is that? I don't have no idea. I think that's me. I don't know what that is. Why is it my fault? I don't know what it is. Hold on a second. That's one of my kids that I normally see at this time that I rescheduled on teletherapy. Let me just tell him. Oh, sorry. See? Him. I'm like, Maria. <laughs> it's always my fault. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Sorry about that. No, don't worry. You're busy. It's not your fault. It was Maria's fault. But um, Ashley does a really good job of um, telling the stories of, of people who, you know, are very famous and, and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's, but that's interesting because, you know, the, the problem with that is though, they're not very good at telling the stories of people who are your average person, right? 
And those are the people who are need to, you need to get to, you know, because like, you know, people see Gabby Giffords and, you know, people see, um, you know, people like that and they say, or James Earl Jones who stutters and they say, you know, that's all well and good, but those people have a lot of resources and a lot of money that the average person doesn't have to get those same services. And you know, what I would really like to see the story of, and I think this gets to your point, is the story of like Joe Smith or Mary Smith, to, you know, and see them from the very beginning of, of treatment to the end of treatment and see what progress they make and what they do. That's an ad campaign that I would really like to see Asha get involved with and do something yeah. like that because I think it can, you know, get out there. I mean, you know, many years ago, nursing had a shortage in, of nurses and uh, they teamed up with Johnson and Johnson. And um, they, they ran these campaigns, you know, to kind of just increase public awareness of what nurses do and the impact that they make. And it made a huge difference in the way people view nurses. Right. And, I and just we, started watching Nurse Jackie, and now I have a different view of nurses, too. So, yeah, we, we need something like that. I mean, you know, <laughs> one of my grad students last year, we, we went, you know, around to, to a couple of different clinics on the eastern part of the country, and we went to um, some different stuff clinics and we actually did a documentary on um on stuttering it's called stuttering part of me you can youtube it it's up there free um but you know we, we did a documentary and we just kind of followed like you know young adults and and just kind of told their story about like what treatment was like what it's like to be a person who stutters because i think those things are really empowering for the clients to see as well that Absolutely. you know this is my example of, of what i can be working toward or, or get to and and they allow people to see the importance of what we do Right, and it's not like you're forcing that person to compare themselves to James Earl Jones. Right. Because right. <laughs> he's got other things going on, too. Right, right. yeah. He's got a talent in some other areas. I <laughs> I've tried um, stuttering documentaries I found on YouTube, and a lot of my younger clients, like adolescents, they love to watch it. Um, but I feel like when people hear your speech pathologist, they're like, oh, so you work with people with lips, lisps or who stutter. That's so right. not just that. So I think stuttering is something that we are more known to do or to work with. That yeah. But yeah, like swallowing, people don't know, or even, even like cognitive impairments, like, oh, really? Like memory and stuff? And it's like, absolutely. Anything from the brain to like the songs. Yeah, like, totally. Something as basic as literacy, people don't know that we have anything to do with that. Exactly. Yeah, Craig, I feel like you're a psychic because every time I'm thinking something, then you say it. Because... Um, <laughs> It really, I work in elementary school, and not only do I work in elementary school, but I work in gen ed. Yeah. So a lot of the activities that I do are for individuals who are in that setting, and I do often get messages like, do you ever feel like a glorified English teacher? And it, it annoys me because I'm like, okay, well, that's how that individual is responsible for utilizing their speech and language skills at this period of time in their life. Right. So I don't see the hang up on having to write a correct sentence. We also have to speak in a correct sentence. So. Well, and I think a lot of times people, and, and that's where the you know, difficulty telling the story lies is that there's not much drama in the day to day business of what we do. You know, you don't have a client you typically that walks in one day and then two hours later they're, they're normal. Like, you know, they, they've gotten to that point in, in a two hour period. And so it's not really a glamorous story to tell of, you know, somebody going to therapy for six months or a year. 
But in reality, that's what people need a lot of the time to, to you know, lay the foundation to be effective communicators. And, you know, what more important thing that, to have in, in your life than either to be able to communicate well, to hear well, or to be able to swallow? Exactly. Yeah. We are very good people. We, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and very busy people. We are very busy. Very yeah. busy, good people. So, so Deborah had some listener questions, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to get to. Okay. Yes. So, I gotcha. First, I was going to do my, my questions and then listener okay. questions. Okay. All right. So, for me, I said my number two was um, awareness, but my number one is just, like, so I love the field of speech language pathology, and I do feel like it's where I do belong professionally. However, I did not come from a background where I had a family that saved for my college. Right. So every sense of what I have done has been through a student loan, down to like student housing. Right. For when I did that that first year, so. Um, I'm not saying that I regret it, but I am saying that it, um, you know, it's a, it's very difficult to just have this debt hanging over your head. And in conjunction to that, I feel like I've advanced pretty far in my six year career. And now I'm more interested in becoming specialized. Right. And if I want to do that, then it's just more money for more continuing education. And I'm just like, put it on my tab, I guess. What, what am I supposed to do? Did I not, should I have never done this? No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I, a lot of what, what you speak to, I think is a problem, you know, we, we have as a profession in general and not just our profession, a lot of professions have them. I mean, so many people now, and I see this as a, as a college professor, I mean, so many young people are coming out of school with such crippling debt that, you know, it's, they, they can't do anything else. I mean, you know, we wonder why there is a shortage of PhDs in our field. And there's largely a shortage because people do not want to delay making more, making some money after they got $50,000 of debt. Right. And, 50. That'd be nice. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, you, and then you just, you know, you, you keep adding on to that. Like you said, with the specialties and things like that. I mean, I went through it to get the board certification and stuttering and, um, you know, it, it, you do have to make difficult choices that as a professional, you shouldn't have to make, you know, and then, and then, then you're talking about like in many circumstances, people having to buy their own therapy materials and, you know, that's just something else you add on to the, the debt and, you know, the bills. And, and um, I think we need to do a much better job of really working with other professional organizations to be able to come up with reasonable solutions for, solving that problem because I mean this is a more global problem than just speech right. pathology I mean it's a it's a national problem and it's it drains the economy I mean you should you know if you have people who are coming out of school who should be the ones spending money on houses cars furniture and instead they can't buy anything because they have a full-time job but all their money's going to their student loan payment right yeah that is that's just like a global issue I think well America issue. You know? What I really feel like, though, is that although it's a global issue, I agree with that. I just wish, like, so I'm happy to have, like, put the money out there to go get my degree so that I can pursue this career. I just wish that there were more solid, um, like, loan forgiveness programs if you were to 
be working in the field for a certain amount of time. Like I'm, I'm not, I, I couldn't imagine everyone paying for, or like getting forgiveness for degrees that aren't being utilized within the field of the demands. I'm just saying that what I think would look, would be uh, more reassuring was if there were more concrete programs to get some sort of like reimbursement since there is such a high demand for speech pathologists. I think there are reimbursement programs. I mean, I don't know if you've looked into They're, it. I have. They're just not like concrete. It's like, if you do this, then maybe. Yeah, you have to work for a nonprofit for yeah. 10 years to get loan forgiveness. So like that could be a public school. It could be a hospital, but it has to be a nonprofit organization. Universities count as nonprofits in most cases. Um, but you still have to pay the pay for 10 years and then you would get your the rest of your loan forgiven right. after 10 years. And then it's like 120 qualifying payments and I'm like, okay, is this a qualify? Is this one? Is, wait, is this right. one a qualifying payment? Like, so it's yeah, just they make you jump through so many hoops that most people just say it's not even worth it to do it. Right, yeah. So that's all. I don't think that it should be free. I just think like it would be nice if there was some sort of program in which like there was a more guaranteed means of getting some forgiveness for you know I, I think some of that ties back to reimbursement issues as well that i feel like there could be more programs established to do that if we were getting paid what we deserve to be paid for our services most of the time exactly. right and and you know so much of that again just goes back to advocacy and you know really trying to have a specific plan to work with insurance companies to talk about why there is a need for our services and and the importance of them Right. Yep. So then I said loans awareness, and then um, my third is streamlining a little bit more. So I'm an adjunct professor this year, okay. and I'm teaching um, undergraduate uh, clinical and research writing and graduate speech and educational setting. So for both classes, we had to discuss documentation, like the writing class and the educational class. And um, I did a lot of research being like, how should a speech pathology soap note look? Like, I know what mine looks like. I know what, you know, S-O-A-P. But like, I couldn't find any document that was, that was like, this is how, I just wish it was just more uniform so that you knew that what you were teaching was what is expected across the board. You know, that, that, so I'm probably going to go off the reservation a little bit here and, and, and say that, you know, that, that again, I think is something that we need to examine because a lot of times we are told, and I think it depends on what setting you, you work in, certainly, but a lot of times we're told that the better your documentation, the better you'll be reimbursed. Right. That's not always true. Um, you know, be, because typically in most outpatient settings, you, a, a client comes to you with a number of approved visits of speech therapy per year. And you could have like the best documentation since Van Riper, and you're not <laughs> going to get more than 20 visits a year if that's what it says in their plan. Right. And so, you know, I, I think we need to come up with more, you know, kind of maybe align our ways of doing things with a little bit better but I also think that we also need to be okay with streamlining some of the things that we do and you know if you look at um, you know doctors and the way that they might they write like a daily note for a, a, a typical visit it's a lot of it is not as detailed as what we do in a soap note for a therapy session and we're seeing a kid you know eight times a month right. and I'm not really sure that I see in a lot of the clients that I've worked with over the years enough of a change from like Tuesday to Thursday to justify writing a page 
<laughs> no. for each day. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. I, agree. I think we've gotten sucked into that by the insurance industry of saying, well, that's the way it has to be done to get coverage. But I don't think they read it most of the time anyway. No, not unless they want to look back. Right. And I have so many people come to me. They're like, aren't you taking data to what percent accuracy? I'm like, it's been 70 for three weeks. It's going to be 70 for a little bit longer. Like it's not going to. So it's just the percentages don't even change that drastically from week to week, maybe 5% and they can waver back and forth. That doesn't mean there's no progress. It could be you expose them to a different sheet of antonyms. You expose them to a different um, type of texture consistency. So it's yeah. just, it's, yeah, that's, that's an issue for me that I, I guess I can't really articulate right now, but. Well, the way I always try to approach that when I have these discussions with insurance companies is, you have to look at what that data is going to do to change the plan of therapy for the patient. And so if I do a fluency count, for example, on somebody, you know, on Tuesday and they're 15% disfluent and I do it again on Thursday and they're 13% disfluent, what does that tell me about the patient? Nothing. No, Thursday might have been a better day. For no reason at all. No, like that. They might spike up to 20% next week for no reason at all. And, you know, it, so I'm not really documenting progress. I'm documenting an arbitrary number in a given moment. Yes, that's and, exactly how I feel. And, and that really doesn't do anything to change what you're going to be doing in therapy. So I, I would much rather see fewer notes if I were an insurance company. And I try to explain this to them when I talk to them. You know, I would much rather see fewer notes with more concrete examples of how what I'm doing in therapy translates into real life. Mm -hmm. That's much more meaningful for me to look at than can you give me data on how many times this person stuttered during this half hour session, which tells me nothing. Right. Yes. I guess. It depended on what they were talking about and like other, other variables too. So, I mean, I don't know if you can capture all that in a session note. Well, yeah, you, you can't. And the thing is, you can capture all of that stuff in like a two to three month period. And that's why, you know, progress reports are really good and important. I guess personally, I haven't always seen the value of a daily note for most of the, the clients we see in an outpatient setting. I know we have to do them. We do them. We teach our students to do them. But, uh, you know, again, I think we've gotten sucked into that trap a little bit, too. Um, and and just to, to appease people when it really doesn't make total sense to do that all the time. I do like to write down all the activities that we did. This way, if anyone were to question me about that day, I'd be like, oh, I remember the Dragonfly day. What well, see, yeah, here's the thing. Like, okay, let's say I'm working with a client who stutters, right? And let's say um, today I take them to Starbucks so that they can order food and stutter on purpose or use some strategy that I'm working on or just work on communicating with people. If my daily note just said that, somebody would read it and say, well, you didn't do anything today. Well, because you don't have data. Well, yes, I actually did something that's making a much bigger difference in that person's life than me sitting down charting how fluent they were during a 20-minute session. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would love to see that change. Yeah. Um, so I said my top three. Maria, do you have any ASHA issues that you wanted to bring up before I got to listeners? Uh, I had a thought, but I don't know how much time we have, and I just, it's a controversial thought. So I don't oh, I like controversy. Oh, okay. Uh, what are your thoughts then on, I'll just keep it to one, I'll pick one 
controversial thought instead of okay one is good <laughs> uh what your take is on a uh, rapid prompting method rpm because i know asha let out that statement and you know i mean i'll leave my opinion out of it for now and just like here if you do you have a side about it if you have a thoughts any thoughts about it so th this isn't the population i work with so you know something like that would be a good example of how i would see my role as convening a committee of people who are experts in that area to help make the best decision on that and you know it, this our scope of practice is so big that we do, we can't possibly know about everything right yeah and so you know like I, i've done a lot of good work in stuttering um when you start talking about things like that when you start talking about swallowing i'm out of my wheelhouse and so you know you you have to be able to rely on you know people who specialize in those areas to help you make informed decisions and i think a lot of times that's where some of the public relations problems come from you know that we have at asha sometimes where they put out statements where they haven't really consulted people who are specialists in that area. Right. Yeah. And then that's what leads to having statements having to be pulled back. And, you know, so, you know, I, I know a little bit about the issue you're talking about because it created such controversy. And, yes. I, and I think yes. it was a really good example of how I'm not sure that they consulted enough people who knew the issue to be able to say, was this a good idea to do or input out, or do we need to get more evidence before we do that? I know, and it, it is difficult to like ha collect the evidence. I mean, I think I, I did see both sides, but I I have seen it done before, and like I didn't believe it in the beginning either, and like I have seen it though with my own eyes, and I didn't think that it was possible. But you know, I mean, there is we need more data. That's all I'll say too. <laughs> you know, I, I read a really good book about ten years ago. Um, the, the book was I called. Jump? What? The reason I jump. No. Oh. Um, it, the, the book was called The Puzzle People, and it was by Thomas Starzl, who was like the guy who invented transplant surgery. Oh, and okay. um, you know, he was a, a physician at the University of Pittsburgh, where I was at, and um, he, back in the 50s, 60s, he, he you know, really started transplants by doing kidney transplants first, and then he moved to liver transplants. And it's a really fascinating book because he talks about how he doesn't think that in today's society he would be able to get his program off the ground because people are so into doing only things that have existing evidence. Right. That the first patient that he had who died, they would have pulled the plug and said, no, we can't do this anymore. Right. That's interesting. And he talked about how, you know, he had to have those patients who weren't successful because they taught him about, Right. You know, rejection and you had to use anti-rejection drugs and you know what you had to do to do successful transplants and eventually he perfected it and did it on a bunch of different things but but i think it really is a good point that you know you, you can't say that you can't do something just because there isn't any evidence there has to be bad evidence for you to say you can't do something that's a good point yeah exactly right i know well we'll see what happens right we'll see what the future holds for asha and their take on it but you know i did want to write an email to them and everything i haven't got a chance to but now you're inspiring me to to do <laughs> i have worked with a young boy who has used it and his mother is like a, such a big advocate for it so well to me that that's the best evidence is if you if you have anything and I'm not talking about this issue but if you have anything that you have that's working for a, a individual person 
that's what it's about. I mean, it's not about group data. It's about whether the individual in front of you is getting better. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's changed his life. So, but we'll see, right? We'll see. I don't want to get too much caught up into this. We have to uh, come to an end. Uh, so I just, Craig, if you wanted to leave off, leave us off with any last words, anything you didn't get to talk about. Right. Wait, before we close off, let me just bring up one last thing that was a, because we didn't do listeners. Yeah, I know. If you have a few listener questions you want to do, that's yeah. fine. It says okay. six minutes and 55 seconds. We can do Okay. I'll just edit this part out. Okay. So um, a listener concern was, um, you mentioned this earlier, but actually more specifically, caseload caps. Mm -hmm. So the caseload workload um for individuals in all settings, it seems is too high to be productive. So is there anything that, that ASHA can do in, in order to really enforce stricter guidelines in terms of that? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. I think that the mistake that people make is they think that ASHA can come in and say, this is the number. And that's not what ASHA can do because you know, I, I learned that in my licensure battles in Pennsylvania when we were going through that. Departments of Education doesn't really don't really care what ASHA says or thinks about things. Right. So you know, here's what you have to do if you're if you're the national organization, you have to come up with a specific workload formula that that is agreed upon that makes sense for people and that's adaptable to multiple settings. Meaning that there probably has to be a different workload formula for schools versus medical settings versus outpatient because people do different things in those settings and have different responsibilities. Then what you need to do is you need to form alliances with the state associations and work with them to get that workload formula put into the licensure law so that places cannot violate it. Otherwise, having a document or a handout that says, hey, our, our caseload is 65, but it's just a handout right. that doesn't matter. And it, it's never going to be enforced. So you, you can come up with stuff like that all day, and it, it's not going to really mean anything at the end of the day unless you can get it into a law. Right. But if ASHA starts off with, like, this is what we have found, then, then SLPs within their own state can utilize that information to make it happen within their yeah, and I, th I think that actually, I mean, you know, can work also with the states closely to, to help that legislation get passed. I mean, because, you know, it is still a national organization with 200,000 people and, you know, carries some significance because of that. So I, I do think there is a strong role for ASHA in that. I think the role is, though, helping to develop the, the document and then also helping to work with the state associations to get it passed into a law. Yeah. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as simple as saying let let's put a caseload number out there and then expect everybody to adopt it. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. So it's like there has to be initiatives at the state level, but then also at the individual level too. Like, do you want to do something? So gather some paperwork and go to your. Yes, state. absolutely. Um, and then the final issue that I saw brought up most frequently was that um, accessing research is, uh, time consuming and not very easy. And is there any way to make that more accessible to professionals? You know, that's a tough thing because I'm not sure that there's anything that ASHA can do about that because that's beyond, you know, an, an ASHA issue. I mean, ASHA has control over their journals, um, you know, which you get access to as a member. Um, but 
you know, if you're talking about other journals outside of ASHA, that's all comes back to the publisher and how they, you know, view access. One strategy I would say for people is, you know, this is a good reason why you should supervise grad students. Because if you supervise grad students, you should be able to talk to the college that you supervise the grad students with to see if they can get you access to journals that the university has access to as a part-time university employee. Right. That's a good idea. That's, I mean, because I work for a school, so I just use, I just still log on to the same email and just right. look through there. Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah, okay. Makes sense. That's a good idea, though. I didn't even think of that. So thank you, Craig, for that idea. Sure. Another reason to mentor, right, or supervise. Right, exactly. So everyone's got to go out and vote. When is that? Okay, so voting started on April 16th, and voting goes until uh, May 29th. Okay. So um, you, should, you should be getting emails or have already gotten an email from ASHA that, you know, kind of sends you a direct link to, to vote. Um, if you just Google ASHA elections, though, that will also take you to the place you can go to to vote. Okay. And if our listeners wanted to know more about you, where can they find you? Uh, so good, good question. I can give you my email address directly. Um, it's craig.coleman at marshall.edu. So if people have specific questions, they can uh, send them there. I also have a um, Facebook group that's about my candidacy. Um, and, and that is um, if you search Connecting Our Pathways on Facebook, that's the name of the group. Um, and so I post some videos there about like, you know, my positions on things and, and we'll post some uh, different uh, things on there as well. Great. Okay. Connecting our pathways. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us, Craig. No problem, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me. Good luck. That was a very refreshing and informative interview that we had with Craig. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure to listen to him and I, uh, I'm going to vote for him. I decided. <laughs> yeah, me too. I put it out there. I also just uh, listened to a bunch of his lectures that are available online, and he's got other research articles that talk about having a parent's um, program for treating individuals with stutters and disfluencies. And he, one thing that I took away from it was um, a lot of times clinicians, they make the mistake of being like, oh, I stutter sometimes mm -hmm. too. But that's like right there. You're kind of like um, diminishing, diminishing what right. they go through, but then also like oh. losing credit on your behalf because then that person's going to be like, okay, well I see other people all the time and there's nobody who's like stopping or blocking for five seconds straight. It's not the same. Right. So that yes. was a good takeaway. I like to, um, when I have kids with stuttering, I say like, you know, we're practicing our speech. There's a lot of things Miss Maria has to practice too. You know, so like I have to practice going to bed earlier. Sometimes I, I just make something up. Like right. E drinking more water. Yeah. I know, so just kind of relate it. Like we're all working on something. Right. Yes. We should be. We should be. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're all in this together here. Are we doing tips and tricks? Okay. Well, was that my tip or trick? Uh, well, no. I'm going to give some more tips or tricks. Okay. I got let's some hear good it. tips or tricks. Yeah. Uh, my tip or trick, I guess I'll keep it with um, the stuttering S topic because Craig does specialize in that. Um, I do like to start with uh, drawing pictures, and then I do like to draw roads that are bumpy and smooth just to teach that vocabulary. And that because roads are bumpy and kids can experience that when they're in a car or bus or just walking. 
and then smooth and then just drawing that and that's our first like intro lesson or first two or three lessons of speech oh and then so i also started with a um young fluency client and we today did the lego car game and sometimes the road is bumpy and sometimes the road is smooth so that's how i chose to introduce it and then we like made bumps with our arms and then we made smoothness with our arms and then we made our speech bumpy on purpose and then we made our speech smooth on purpose Cool. And that's how yeah. we introduced it. And it was all, I talked to Craig a little bit after this interview and he gave me those pointers. So I just did what he told me to. Nice. Thank you, Craig. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to end with a quote. And I like this quote. I feel like I really do do this. And it's speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's yep. lovely, Maria. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Thank you. On that note, this has been another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Maria. I'm Deb. And have a good night. See you May 31st at the Creek in the Cave. That's right. We'll be there. Buy your tickets. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hey, ladies. I'm kind of sort of loving and openly, admittingly fangirling y'all lovely duo of SLP's Wine and Cheese. Yes, and we love listening to your podcast, First Bite. Well, thank you. I'm Michelle Dawson, and I specialize in functional but fun treatment for medically fragile kiddos, especially for those that have feeding and swallowing impairments and who use AAC devices as part of their total communication plan. On my podcast, First Bite, we discuss all topics related to early intervention and pediatric speech therapy. We address those worrisome ethics and clinical supervision concerns, as well as jump into private practice ownership and really get into the nooks and crannies of all the things in between by interviewing guest experts in the field. Then, every fourth episode, we bring it back home to my Palmetto State by having evidence-based reviews of case studies or resources with my dear friend and colleague, Aaron Forward, who kind of sort of came up with this whole idea. First Bite is partnered with Speech Therapy PD, offering evidence-based content in a podcast. Each episode can count as one hour ASHA CEU. Find them on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Absolutely. And thanks for all you do and for spreading joy into the world. Cheers. Cheers.